Good morning. Good morning. And just so excited to be in God's house this morning with you guys and so excited about this word uh, that we are going to get to in just a moment. Um, but man, I just, um, I just want you to pray um, this morning that God would just open your eyes. Don't worry about like your neighbor's eyes or your uncle's eyes or whatever, but just that God would open our eyes and our hearts to what he's going to say this morning. So let's just pray. Father God, I need you. God, I need you. I need more this morning than just Brad's opinion on some words. Um, I need the voice of God. And this morning, God, it doesn't have to be like a loud thunderbolt in this place today. It can be a whisper. I just need you, and I don't care what the volume is. God, I just want what you have. So God, this morning for me, um, I need you. I'm not a stranger to that. Um, but God, I also know that we need you. God, as, as a people, we need you. And this morning, God, I'm just praying that you'll just speak into this place, that you'll just show up in such a way, God, that we would see you. God, we run the risk every time we walk into this place of, of trying to please us. What songs would I like to hear? What message would I like to hear? And we forget sometimes that all of creation isn't about pleasing us. It's about pleasing you. We were created. Um, we're not the creator. And God, this morning, um, I just made me wonder what you would, you would be pleased by. And this morning, I just want whatever that is to happen. So God, I pray that as we speak, God, that you'll be pleased. But even more than that, God, as I live my life tomorrow and the next day and the next day, God, that it'd be pleasing to you. And in Romans, it says that um, we, we can live a life that's holy and pleasing to God set apart for God and a life that's set apart for God is a life that's pleasing to God. God, that's just what I want for me. So God, help me. God, we need you. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And good morning. That was lame. Good morning. Everybody needs to go get some coffee and we'll reconvene in five, right? Good morning. It's morning, let's be awake, it's morning. Um, you can take a nap, Sunday naps are the best, right? So you can take one later, but right now, um, man, what would God say to us? This should be uh, maybe what's even on our heart. Um, so excited to be here with you guys this morning. And so excited about this word. Um, I think a few weeks ago I said, I don't know if we're in a series, and you know, we've kind of been in a series, and I just never named it, um, but it's it's been like a common thread definitely the past few weeks, and, and really at the beginning, I thought it was this common thread of this idea of repentance. We saw repentance in Hebrews, and then in Genesis 4, and then in Genesis 3, we, we've seen this this thread, but even deeper than that, there's been this theme um, that, that God is the best thing going, The the that God is so good and so glorious and so amazing um, 
And, and as we moved through those weeks, God just began really to, to me and I hope to you to just pull back like the picture of all those stories of, man, this is one story about one person and that person is God. And he told it in the book of Hebrews, talking to some Hebrew people. And he told that in, in Genesis, talking about Cain and Abel and not Adam and Eve. But man, it's all one story about one glory and that glory is the glory of God. And, and and really, it's just kind of been an amazing adventure through these um, past few weeks. But I hope the thing that we get out of this is that when we get that messed up, everything else in our life will be messed up. When we somehow believe this lie that life's about us and it's about like kind of what makes me happy and me doing my thing, um, it's going to fall apart. And when we get our, our vision set on something else being better than God, uh, our life's going to fall apart. And, and really, like, it's so amazing to me. I think that most of the problems we have are perspective problems. It's not some problem like uh, my, my job is not good enough or it's not some problem like uh, this person is blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's really a perspective problem between me and, and God. I've changed my view. I've allowed myself to, to, to see God as something less than he is. And, man, it's been so clear to me these past few weeks as we went through that. So, so I was praying, God, where would you land this thing? Because I just feel like this is the week that we're done with this topic. And, you know, next week we'll go to something else. And, and I was praying, and, and there's so many places in, in the Word of God. that the, That's just the central story is, that, I mean, it's all about this amazing God. And if we would get our perspective set on this amazing God, all the other things in our life would just work out, right? And as I was praying, this um, story in Revelation 3 um, came to me. I'm always intimidated when I go to the book of Revelation. I don't know about you, but it's like uh, a little weird. Um, (laughs) The book of Revelation um, is filled with things, I'll be honest, I don't understand. And I think I can say that freely because for most of us, um, that's probably very true. Um, But in the front half of this book, there's these letters to these seven churches, um, we see that John on the island of Patmos um, encounters Jesus. And, and, and as he sees Jesus, uh, there's this amazing description in Revelation 1, maybe you should read later, uh, of this Jesus that he sees. And kind of at the end of this description, Jesus tells John to write these letters to these seven churches. And these seven churches are seven churches um, in the area of Asian, Asia Minor, which is kind of modern-day Turkey. These are not the only seven churches in the world, by the way. They're not the biggest, most important churches in the world. They're just seven churches that have problems. Amazing, amazing right? Churches that have problems. Never <laughs> never would have thought of that. Um, but here we have seven of them, and most of them, in, in at least ways, are a little jacked up. That's how it works with churches. It's not the building's fault. This building is perfect, right? Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday if we're not here, Thursday if we're not here, building's perfect Friday because we're not here, Saturday it's great, and then Sunday we move in and it becomes a, you know, landmine, right? (laughs) And he writes these letters to these seven churches because all of these churches have lessons that we can all learn from as the church. I think it's fair to say that at any given time you could you could pick one of these letters and, and go to pretty much any church and you would find people at least in that church that are dealing with these things. But this letter, this last letter, has always been kind of the most 
intriguing of the letters to me. Um, And that's the one we're going to look at this morning. It's this letter to the church at Laodicea. Now, Laodicea is like a city um, in Asia Minor. It's kind of away from the coast and um, just kind of geographically for you informationally they they didn't have a good source of water in the city so they brought the water in and these pipes these aqueducts it's kind of amazing right like looking back a couple thousand years ago and we got some plumbing um and they brought this water in from some uh i guess hot springs where the water was warm and they would bring it down about five miles that's a lot of plumbing (laughs) and they'd bring it to the city and by the time it got to the city it it was lukewarm water so this isn't a story that these people wouldn't be able to relate to and Jesus tells John to write this letter and he says to the angel of the church at Laodicea right now just kind of for you um, angel is a uh, Greek word um, meaning angelos or messenger um He may be speaking of an actual angel if you you want to get caught up on that and think that that's the thing. He may may be. He's probably not. Um, Another option is that the person who's going to carry this letter from John to the church is the messenger he's speaking of. But probably the the actual word here, um, angelos, is referring to their pastor or their bishop, some church leader that's going to read this letter out in front of the congregation. And, And he says, write this letter to this specific church, this church at Laodicea, and he starts out like this, and he says, the amen, Hebrew word for truth, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says, now that's the title, the little text at the beginning of the letter. Imagine getting that, right? The truth, the faithful and true witness, the originator of creation is the one writing this letter to you. Now we know that this originator of creation, this truth, is, is Jesus. In Colossians it says that Jesus is the active voice of creation. We see in Hebrews maybe 10 at the end of that chapter it says all things were made through him, by him, and for him. There's so many references to the reality that in Genesis when you hear this voice of God speaking that it's actually Jesus that's speaking creation into existence and you get a letter from this guy like imagine that go home today open the mailbox pull out a letter and here's a letter from Jesus would you maybe pay attention to that letter all right whatever it says is probably going to be important because the one who made the universe is the one speaking this letter to you we know that he's the truth right there's some character of God just in the title not only does he do amazing things and have the ability to do amazing things he's powerful and he's creative but he's also the truth right the the amen the truth and the faithful and true witness says it twice just in case we didn't get it Um, and it says that he's faithful and this is, the, this is the person writing this letter to this church. And he says to them in 15, I know your works. I know your works. Now, if that's where it stopped, if that was the end of the letter, this is probably a good letter. Unfortunately, that's, not, that's just like the beginning. There's a lot more than that. But that's what he starts off with. I know your works. Can I just say the problem that we're about to read, I just want to jump ahead a little bit, is not that this church is not a church that works. I'll say it again. This is not a church that just doesn't work. 
This is not a lazy church. It's not a church that's not doing anything. I think from the outside, if we looked at this church, it's probably a pretty nice church. Maybe they had some rock and worship music. They probably had a, a good speaker. He's going to get to stand up and read this letter from, from Jesus. That's pretty cool. Um, this is probably on the outside a, a good church. Maybe they do mission trips, you know. Maybe they take up money to feed poor people. I don't know, but they do works. They're a church that works. On the outside, maybe it's a church that we'd be like, hey, I want to be part of that church. That's a cool church. I, I like what they're doing. I like how they're, how they're doing things. Uh, Jesus says, I know your works, and if he knows their works, they have to do some kind of works. And then he says, because that's not the end of it, right? I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. Now when Jesus is talking about this lukewarm attitude, he's not saying that your works are lukewarm. Do you get that? The problem that Jesus is about to address in this letter actually doesn't even have anything to do with the works. It's the attitude of the people in the church. Who is he speaking to when he speaks to the church? Is he speaking to the building at Laodicea? No, he is not. I'm not speaking to the room they meet in. Jesus never, I think, refers to the church as, as the room or the building. We put it on our signs because it makes us kind of feel separate and, and less responsible for what happens inside of the building. But we, as people that know Jesus, are the church. You're the church. If you know Jesus, even if you're like, I'm doing this thing on my own, you're part of the church. Congratulations today. We get born into the body, and the body is the church. And we are the church. And the church he's speaking to here are the people that fill the seats in Laodicea, the people that are doing the work. And he says about these people, not about the works, that you are neither hot nor cold. Now we hear that and we're like, okay, what does that mean, right? Like, like you're, on, you're neither on fire for Jesus or you're, 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 you're not an unbeliever. You're somewhere in the gray area. And that's what we think, but they have a little more context to that. See, as, as we said, they have no natural water source, and they, they pop this water in from five miles away, and these people are used to lukewarm water. It starts out hot, it moves five miles, and then it's not hot anymore once it gets there. What's hot water good for? Cooking, right? It has a, it has a use. You can do something with hot water. What's cold water good for? It's refreshing, right? Like if you've been working outside all day long, you don't want to go to the truck and get a room temperature water. That's disgusting, right? You're sweating and you're like, man, I just need something to quench my thirst. You don't want water that's the temperature of your sweat. That's not exciting. It's not refreshing. It's not good. You, you want cold water. See, lukewarm water is, is kind of useless, isn't it? And this is what he's saying to, to these people, this, this attitude of, of you, I, I know your works, but, and your attitude is, is useless. You're, you're neither hot nor cold. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not talking about a church here that's really just excited and on fire for Jesus. And we're not talking about the world who says, I don't care anything about Jesus. We're talking about people who try to live in the middle area, the gray area. That's what he's speaking about. People like Cain who would say, eh, it's God. 
People with a lukewarm attitude towards God, this, this useless attitude towards God. Well, I have the definition for lukewarm because, uh, you know, I like definitions. Um, lukewarm is of a person, attitude, or action unenthusiastic. He says, I know your works, and I know your heart. I know that you're people that are neither hot nor cold for me. You're not on fire for me and excited about me. You're not amazed by me. And you're not just trying to live out in the world. You're trying to live in the gray area, in this unenthusiastic place. You're you're lukewarm. And it's a useless place to live. Lukewarm, a synonym for lukewarm is this word that I love to use, and it's apathetic. Showing or feeling no interest, enthusiasm, or concern. The word apathetic, showing or feeling no interest, enthusiasm, or concern, uh, I'll be honest, is, is the word that I think of most when I think about the churches that I've encountered today. Anybody like me and you just grew up in church and you've been to church like a million times and, and you know kind of the, the formula every church does. We come in, we sing a song, and if you're Baptist, that's the only song you stand up for. And if not, you maybe have to stand up for the rest of the time. And then some guy's going to get up and talk and he's going to give you the announcements, right? And then he's gonna, they're going to do the, the collection thingy and then they're going to sing some more songs. And depending on where you go, I'm participating or I'm, I'm listening. It just depends on the, the attitude of the place. And then after that, they're going to pray and then they're going to preach and then they're going to pray and they may do this thing called an altar call whatever that is and people can come down if, if you you know emotionally stir them enough they can come down to this place and then and then at the end of that um you're, you're going to sing another song and then somebody's going to pray and then you're going to go home am i right like <laughs> that's like every church i've ever been to right and, and if you've been to a lot of churches it's every church you've ever been to because that's, that's just what we know and it's what we do and it worked for them so that it works for us. So we're just going to do the thing that everybody else does. Have you ever looked around during all that? Anybody? I'm not talking about like how they do the works, right? I know your works. You work. But I also know your heart. This is what Jesus is saying to this church, right? So I know, I know your works. You got a band or you sing hymns and it's great or it's not great. I know your works. It's not about the work, so it doesn't matter. I know your, your pastor and either can speak or he can't speak and, you know, whatever. It's either great or it's not great. I know your altar calls and people either respond or they don't respond. It's great or it's not great. I know your service out in the community and it's either great or it's not great can we just erase all that because that's not what he's speaking of i know your works that you are neither hot nor cold he's speaking of the people in the buildings and he says to this church and maybe to other churches let's just be open to it that that this may apply somewhere else I see that your attitude and your heart towards me is lukewarm and it's apathetic that you don't don't care, you're not concerned. Yes, you sing the songs, but you're not concerned. Yes, you hear the message, but you're not concerned. Yes, you do the response, but you're not concerned. 
This is what he's speaking to these people. And this church, I'll be honest, may be the best of all the churches in how they do things. We don't know. But inwardly, there's this thing that's happening, this apathy that's happening towards God. Can I just say to us today, maybe it's possible to serve and never acknowledge the one we're serving. Maybe it's possible to sing songs and never actually ascribe value to anything. I can sing how great is our God right now and mean it 0%. I can do that. It's possible. And I can say the words and I can raise my hand and I can jump if that's what we do. I I can do all the things. I can do all the works, but it's possible to do all the works and not mean any of it. And he says, I see that you're doing the works, church. But I'm looking past the works because I'm God and I'm the one who sees the heart. And as I look at your heart, you don't care. There's no actual acknowledgement of who I am and what I'm doing. There's no love for me or concern for me. There's an apathy towards God. Now let's be honest. How many of us have ever experienced that in a church today? You ever turned on TV and and watched as they pan the congregation in most churches? You know what I think every time I see that? How painful it is to watch. There, There was a church that was on TV, and I'll never forget this. It was years ago. I was just flipping through after church one Sunday morning, and they had their books out, and they were singing How Great Is Our God, and on their faces you could see that there was really no even connection to the idea that our God is great. It happens week after week after week after week in every church probably you've ever been to. And I'll be honest, every church you'll ever go to. And Jesus looks at this church and, you know, maybe every church. And he says, yeah, you're doing the works. You're serving, but there's no acknowledgement of who you're serving. You, You are singing the songs. But you're not ascribing value to anything. It's, it's very possible to do all the right things in all the wrong ways. It's possible, but it's not right. What, what does Jesus say to, to these people in this letter? He says, I wish that you were cold or hot. What, is, what does he mean? I wish you'd pick one. I wish that you wouldn't attempt to live in this gray area of, eh, God. I wish that as I saw the church, that, that I would see a people that either have a heart for me or a people that would shut the door. Now, what an amazing thought is that, that God would actually look at a church and say, I, I wish you would just shut the doors. Would God do such a thing? Well, he would. Have you ever read Isaiah? There's this trampling of my courts. You're here and there's a lot of you. Oh, that you would just shut the door. Shut it down. 
In Malachi, what's he say, man? You're bringing these offerings of really stuff that you wouldn't give anybody else and you don't want. Would anybody else even take that from you? I wish you'd just shut it down. Turn, turn the altar off. Because if that's all I deserve, or it's all you recognize that I deserve, I'd rather you just not do it. Isn't this the same God writing the same words? He writes to this church, Laodicea, a church that has many works and probably many offerings. And he says, I see that you're doing all the things, but I see that your hearts are far from me. And I wish you'd just pick one. See, here's, here's the, the real true secret to this thing. There is no gray area. All the gray area is really just cold, isn't it? You're either hot or you're cold. There, there's not a, a middle. Actually, the middle is useless, right? Lukewarm water isn't good for anything, and lukewarm living after God isn't good for anything. It doesn't get you anywhere. And God looks at this church, these people, and he's like, hey, uh, I see your works, but I don't, I don't care about your works. Worship with a heart that's not after God is useless. He would rather us not sing the songs. Church attendance without, without a heart for God is, is useless. He'd rather us sleep in. If our heart is far from him, let's just live far from him. That way at least we know where we are. See, the middle is, is a dangerous place because when we get caught in the middle, we start to believe this truth that, that we can have both things. We, we can have God when he's convenient, or we can have God when we need something, or we can have God, you know, when it, when it makes the, the, the right appearance or the right time. We can have God on certain days, but, but we don't need him really for any other day. And, and if you only need him every once in a while, you probably just should live without him. So God looks at this church, and maybe every church, and he, he says, pick one. I wish that you were hot or cold. And he says in 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, what does he say? I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now some of you have the sanitized version of that where it says spit, but, but the word here is, is vomit, puke, to throw up to get rid of, to be disgusted by, and then to eject from your presence. And this is what God says about a church like this. To, to this church and to every church, and to, I'll, I'll be honest, he's not talking about a building, he's talking about the people, so every one of us has a heart that's, eh, God. What, what is he saying? You make me sick. You make me want to throw up. Lukewarm living is useless, and it disgusts me. Now, I think we, we hear this, and then we get this temptation to, to start questioning, well, does God eject believers? 
Would, would God cast a Christian out, out, out of heaven, out of his presence? Would, would God get rid of those who say they are believers? Well, the, the, the question is the wrong question, by the way. But I, let me go ahead and answer it. Will there be pastors that do not make it into heaven? Yes. Will there be missionaries that don't make it into heaven? Yes, there will be people that have their lives heaped full of good works that never make it into the presence of God. There will be people that come every week and they will never make it into the presence of God. There will be people that sang and memorized and maybe even led all the songs that never make it into heaven. What's my proof for that? Depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, but Jesus, we did all these works. You're wicked. Because you did all the works in the gray area. You did all the works, but there was never a heart for me. Now let me say to you, with everything in me, I don't believe Jesus will cast any Christians out of heaven. I'm a firm believer that once you're saved, you are always saved, and there's nothing that will remove that. I don't, I don't think that's even the issue. I think the, the greater question is, will there be a Christian that is ever apathetic towards God? Is it possible to have seen and experienced such great love and mercy and forgiveness and grace and turn from that grace? Is it possible to experience the most beautiful thing, the most rare thing in all of creation and say, eh, that's God? No. Jesus here is speaking to a religious people who gather under the banner of Jesus but have never had a heart for Jesus. And he says to these people, you look like a church and you smell like a church and everybody around you thinks you're a church, but I want you to know you are not mine because your heart is still yours. What have we been talking about for weeks what was, what was the problem with Cain's offering? He looked at God and he says, you're worth something, but you're not worth the best. You're not worth everything. I'll give you some, but I won't give you the best. Cain lived in the gray area, and what did God do? He rejected his offering, and then he said to him, if you'll do what's right, won't I accept you? It's your choice. You can see it. You can, you can come to it. You, you can live in that hot place. You, you can step into that, but if you won't, what does he say? Sin's crouching at the door, and it'll kill you. See, when we don't see God as the most valuable thing, if we don't desire to be intimate with God, we will be intimate with sin. And we can do all the works in that place. Rewind one chapter, right? What, what, what was the problem with Adam and Eve? This serpent come in and he was beautiful and he was cunning and he, and he spun a good lie. But what did he say? God's really not who you think he is. God's really not as great as you think he is. God's less than you think he is. God's mean. God's trying to keep something from you. God doesn't want you to have this fruit because he knows if you have this fruit, you won't need God. And as there 
perspective of who God is fell. So did all of creation. Isn't this the same God saying the same thing? If your heart towards me is, ah, he's okay, or he's pretty cool, maybe you don't actually even have a heart towards me. So maybe the question isn't, would God cast believers out of heaven? Maybe the question is, can a believer who knows and has seen the greatest thing that has ever been have a heart that is, eh, he's okay. And God says to those people, maybe this is a moment where we say, what is my heart towards God? Because God says to those people, it makes me sick. You parade around and you say that you're a Christian and you don't care about me and you don't love me and you wear your Jesus t-shirts and you sing your Jesus songs and the only person that's fooled by it is you. Because your friends know you're lost and your coworkers know you're lost and really your church knows you're lost. You just don't know you're lost or maybe you do know you're lost and you just pretend. And I want you to know at the end of the day, the danger in living in that place, in a place of, eh, he's God, he's okay, he's not worthy of my best, he's just worthy of something. The danger in living in that place is we're living in a place that's headed towards being cast out. And God says to these people in 17, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I need nothing. Let me just paraphrase that for you, because you don't believe you need God. Because you got a good job, and you make lots of money. And you got the car you want. And you got the, when, when do you call on God when something blows up? The rest of the time, we, we don't need him. When you call on God when your life's falling apart because the rest of the time, you got it covered. And he says to this church, here's why you're lukewarm because you don't believe you actually need God. You got stuff and you've put your stuff on a pedestal. It's only meant for God. You'd rather have fill in the blank than God. We say that and we live that. We put God in something less priority-wise than where he should be. And man, that would be horrible, like, right, if that's where God just left that letter. Amen. Done. I just want you to know, some of you are going to hell. Right? Like, what if that was the end? Done. I just want you to know before it's too late, because let's be honest, if you're not going to heaven, this is the best it's ever going to get. Today is heaven for you. That's, that's true, by the way. This world, with all of its heartaches and 
trouble and yes, some pleasure. It's the best some people are ever going to get. This is the heaven some people are going to live in. But luckily, that's not the character of this God. What's he say? You, you, don't, you don't know this, but I'm going to tell you. you. You're actually wretched and, and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. This is, this is who you really are. Under all the money and the bank account and the house and the car, this is who you really are. This is the state of anybody that doesn't know Jesus. It's who we are. It doesn't matter how good our life is. Apart from Jesus, this is all of us. We, we may have the most money in the world, but, but we're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. But we serve a God. There, there is a God in heaven who didn't ever, ever intend to leave us that way. It says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. Gold that can outlast the fire. Does this hint back to you to Matthew 6 when Jesus is standing there in the Sermon on the Mount and he says, hey, don't lay up for yourself treasures here on earth. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't come and destroy. Lay up for yourself eternal treasures, not treasures here. We, we, we taught that a couple weeks ago. What, what is this treasure that he's talking about? He's talking about the treasure of heaven. See me as valuable. I am the gold refined by fire is what Jesus is saying. I'm the one who's, who's went through death and came back out of it. I am eternal. There's nothing else you know that's eternal but me. I'm the gold that's going to outlast everything else. He's saying see me as valuable so that you may be rich. Because when you have Jesus, you have it all. And, and he says, and white clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness, not be exposed. There's not enough in this world that's going to hide who we really are. We're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. But there is a covering. This, this white that he's speaking of is, is this idea of righteousness. And where does this righteousness come from? It doesn't come from the works. It doesn't come from I go to church. It doesn't come from I know all the songs. It doesn't come from I wear the right t-shirts to the right places. It comes from Jesus. So, so what, is, what is he saying? See me as valuable. And I'll give you these white clothes. And I'll cover your nakedness. And, and he says, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. Well, what's our main issue? We can't see. If you, you have an apathetic heart towards God, the, the issue is not that some preacher has not said enough things. It's that spiritually you are blind and you have not seen God. We're living in a, in a blind place. And, and he says to us, hey, if you'll ask me, I'll give you ointment for your eyes. I will allow you to see. 
Now see, I think that's amazing because there's some of us that, man, we maybe desire that we are saved, but we know in us that we're not saved. There's like this attitude in us, like I I lived there for months. I got saved when I was 11, but I remember for like months before that, I would would pray knowing that I needed to get saved. God, I I want you. God, I need to be saved. God, I don't want to go to hell because ultimately an 11-year-old boy, that's the connection that I have with God. I don't want to burn. That sounds horrible. So I was praying night after night, God, save me, save me, save me, and there was nothing, but there was this longing in me to be saved and maybe some of you are in that spot and I just want to say like if there's a heart in you to pursue God if you'll ask God will allow you to see God it says if you'll see me as valuable I will give you a covering and I will allow you to see me is what he's saying and then he says in 19 as many as I love I rebuke and discipline Why is Jesus saying this to this church? Because here's the deal. Jesus could have never wrote this letter and he could have allowed this church just to to, to collide with eternity and, and all these people just, man, I thought I knew you, but maybe I didn't know you. Why does Jesus say these things, even though they're hard things? Why does Jesus speak this into these places, even, even though we're, we're at fault? Even though it's our heart that's, that's wrong, why, why does God do these things? Because God is a God of love. God loves his people. God loves you. And he loves you too much to allow you to collide with eternity in that place of the gray area. So he says, so be committed and, what's he say? Repent. So be committed. Jesus doesn't want no gray area relationship with you. He wants a committed relationship with you. And he wants us to repent for that apathetic heart towards God. So he says to this church, listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and have dinner with him and he with me. This is grace. Church doing all the right things with all the wrong heart towards God. A church just like Cain who says, ah, he's God and this is God saying right back to me. But if you do what's right, if you do what's right, won't I accept you? If you pick one, won't won't I accept you? For some of the church, this is a call to say, hey, you're lost. But I'm standing here at the door and I'm knocking. You don't have to stay that way today. I'm standing here at the door and I'm knocking. And if you'll hear my voice and you'll come to the door and you open the door, I'll come in. I'm not just here to say hi. I will come in and I will sit down with you. Now I'll sit down and I'll, 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 eat, I'll eat with you. This is this idea of, of communion that we'll spend time together, that we'll be together. You know what the cure for an apathetic heart towards God is? Time with God. 
See, God didn't just come, like Jesus didn't come all this way to die so he wouldn't have to go to hell. It's like a byproduct. He came all this way and he gave his life so we could be together. In Genesis 3, what happened? We were separated. Our vision of who God is was lowered by lies and we were separated and there was no way back. We couldn't get back into that place until Jesus came and Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he lived a perfect life because you and I, we're just not good at it, let's be honest. And then at the end of that life, he died. And when he died, he took on himself all of our sins and shame and our titles, all the things that we'd done. I'm apathetic towards God. He took that. I I lie to people. He took that. I hurt people. He took that. I've I've done horrible things. He took all that. And and the amazing thing in that exchange is he took that, and then he allowed his name to be placed on us. He took our titles, and he gave us his title. So that now I don't have to be like Brad the liar. I can be Brad the forgiven and the loved and the saved. I, I can be that guy. And he did all that, not just so like I wouldn't have to burn, but so that I could spend eternity with God. It's all been about that relationship. God's always been trying to bring us back into God's space with God. He's always trying to bring us back to the garden. Why why do you think the temple looked like the garden? It was like decorated with all these leaves and pomegranates. It was, it was God's space, and every once in a while, some of God's people got to go in to God's space, but that wasn't enough. He's like, that's not what I want. I don't want just like this little box. I want you to be able to live with God in God's space. And this is that same God, and he's saying, hey, I'm knocking today. I'm knocking on the door today, and if, if you'll turn, if, you, if you'll be committed and you'll repent, I will come in if you'll answer the door, and I'll sit down, and I'll stay with you. And to the rest of the church, those people that maybe, I'm not going to say they were all lost. I'm not going to say they weren't. But maybe there's somebody that you have an apathetic heart towards God and you don't even know how you got there and you know it's wrong and you're like fighting and clawing to get back. And maybe you forgot and you quit fighting and clawing, but you know what I'm speaking about. And it's the same God today saying the same thing. I'm here and I'm knocking. And if you hear my voice and you'll open the door, even you, I'll come into. I'll come in and I'll sit down with you and I will stay with you. God's trying to restore intimacy with God's people. God's not trying to restore works with God's people. He breathed out the universe. Why does he need you to come sit in a chair? So he can feel popular. So he can feel loved. There's legions of angels every day shouting out every moment. Oh man, do you see this God? He's he's not trying to earn popularity today God doesn't need more worship songs all heaven is singing songs about God today and for eternity they're going to be singing songs about God he doesn't need your songs God doesn't need what you what you think you can bring him today this is the God that says I own cattle on a thousand hills if I was hungry I would never bother telling you 
God's not concerned with what he can get from us today. God's trying to give us something. God's trying to give us God. In, in, in perfection and in what God's, God wanted, he wanted to walk with us, with you, with me in the garden every day. He wanted me to know what God's footsteps sounded like. He wanted me to be able to run to him and embrace him. He wanted to show me things every day. He wanted me to sit down with him in the shade of the trees and talk. And sin came, and I was poor and naked and wretched and and bad. But God never lost what he wanted for me. Actually, it's what he wanted for me that, that compelled him to step down and to bridge the gap and to make a way that someday I will be able to sit down in the shade of the trees in the garden with God. Someday I will be able to sit down and talk to him. Someday God himself says, wipe away every tear from our eyes. He didn't come to die so we could be better at work and he came to die so we could be with God. And people that have seen that, it's, it's impossible for me to even comprehend people that have seen that, living their life in a place of, eh, just God. I've been through moments of that, but to live your life in that, I've, I've, I've had moments where I'm like, ah, it's God. But to go day and day and day and day and day with no experience, no longing, no, no hunger for that. See, the question today isn't, will God cast Christians out of heaven? It's can Christians cast their lives away from God? If we've ever encountered the most amazing, beautiful treasure of heaven, we got to value and live our life in that place. And God's saying today to some of us, because let's just be honest, we know that we are the Laodiceans. I'm living in the gray. God's saying to us today, I'm knocking at the door. Here's the secret. You need me. And I want you. So here today I stand at the door and I knock and anybody that hears my voice, I will come in and I will sit and stay with you. Let's pray.